As a teenager, Desiree Barton's drug addiction was fueled by pain she didn't yet know how to process. Empowered with forgiveness and grace, the path to recovery led her to discover a new life mission, teaching women how to transform pain into their power to become the best versions of themselves. You got addicted to drugs when you were a teenager. How old were you when that started and what led you down that path? I was already a person that wanted to like drink and like try drugs and explore really. Unfortunately, like my mom had got addicted to drugs around the same time that I decided to start exploring all these different things in my life. And so it was about 15 years old that I started to do meth for the first time, which is a very heavy drug. My parents went through a really horrible divorce. There's four of us. So I have an older brother, a younger sister and a younger brother. And we grew up in a semi-healthy, you know, environment, but my parents never really got along. And so when they were going through their divorce and I didn't know how to deal with the emotions that I was feeling in my body. So I turned to drugs and that helped me numb my emotions. So I no longer had to feel all the sadness and the pain. It went down that road because of the things that I was dealing with as a teenager. And so when my mom got into her addiction, she got a job as a real estate agent so she could get out of the marriage and start making some money on her own. And she started going down that path, which kind of led me down the same path because I was like, well, if she's doing it, why wouldn't I do it? You were talking about so much of your addiction was fueled by trying to numb the pain you were feeling. Take us back to those years. What was your mindset at the time? Gosh, my mindset was so young and immature for one thing, right? I mean, I was still trying to learn how to navigate life. And, you know, my my mom was trying to take care of the kids and go to real estate school and try to provide for us so she could leave the relationship. She wasn't coming home. And so that really made me go into trying to help my brothers and, you know, my sister continue to live a normal life. So there was a portion of me where I had to step up and become a parent and really, you know, help them get ready for school and get to school. And that kind of made me grow up really fast. But at the same time, I just wasn't ready for that at that age. And so when it got too hard, and my mom really started not to show up and got worse, I just kind of went in deeper into that addiction. So my mindset was the case of I don't want to curse on here, but the efforts, right? Like, I just didn't care. If no one cared about me, why would I care? So that's kind of what my mindset was. And that's so hard too for, I mean, a 15 year old to try to be a parent to your siblings and you're still a kid yourself. Right. The path you were on led you to abusive relationships and the need to try to fix people. Yeah. So, you know, I saw my parents never really get along. There was not a lot of love in that relationship. They say you date somebody like your parents and these relationships that I was attracting, it was somebody that was, you know, unhealthy or they had open wounds like I did. And so it just kind of continued to play out throughout the years of my life and continue to date people that were no good for me or weren't ready for a relationship. Or if it was somebody good that I met, I would just destroy it because, you know, I didn't feel worthy of having a healthy relationship. I like that point that you bring up about not worthy of it. So much of it, we don't even realize we're doing it, but we are pushing people away because of our own worthiness issues. Absolutely. Was there a pivotal point in your life where you realized you were in too deep, which then started you on your recovery journey? A few years went by of my addiction and my mom dealing with her own addiction. And there was a few times where I had gotten sober and I tried to stay, you know, on the straight and arrow. But like a lot of addicts do, we relapse. The last straw, which got me back onto the road of recovery was, you know, I decided that I was going to forge a check to try to get money for my next fix. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm. When I went into um, the bank, the bank knew there was red flags all over the place. They called the cops and I ended up going to juvenile hall about a month before I turned 18, which was a huge blessing because I would have been tried as an adult. And I was in juvenile hall for about five days before going to see the judge. And it was actually the perfect amount of time because I just can hear the voice in my head so clearly saying to myself, if you keep going down this road, by the time you're 21, you're going to be dead or in prison. And I just knew I did not want to live my life like that anymore. So even though my mom was in her own addiction, she found me a rehab to go to. And we were able to go in front of the judge and say, look, this is a better alternative than punishing me with the six felonies that I had. The judge was like, if you come back in 30 days, you finish it with no problems. I will expunge your record and release you from all these felonies, basically. And so that was my opportunity. That was my chance to really get my life back on the right track. And so what happened after those 30 days? That was a real pivotal moment in my life, knowing that there was other drug addicts, alcoholics that could come to a place where there was recovery and we could do this together with other people. And that to me just blew my mind because when I was in my addiction, I had no idea that other people were suffering the way I was suffering. I was able to you know, finish out the 30 days. And after that, I went to a sober living and lived with 12 other women and really started to just get my life back on track. You know, when I was in juvenile hall, I was in so much pain and I just didn't know what to do or how to fix all these emotions that I had been feeling and I had been numbing for so long and I just was like one day I'm going to help other people with this pain. No one should ever have to feel like that. That's always been in the back of my mind and it's really turned my life to where I'm at right now and that's just to help other women feel the way that they're supposed to feel without so much pain and so much heartache and so yeah after I went to the sober living I just kind of started building my life back up from there. So you're a life coach now? I am, yes. As a life coach, what do you do and what inspired you to become a coach? Basically, the day that I was in all that pain, I was just, one day I'm going to help others. And it's been several years since then that I had the opportunity to really step into a place where I could invest in myself to become a coach for one thing and to also like do my own healing, right? So do the work on myself so that I could lead others through that work. And so when um, my husband and I got married, I had an opportunity to kind of just rethink my career and like what I want to do. And I was working corporate and I wasn't very happy. And so, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, I really have a desire to help others change their lives and to be happy the way that I felt happy. And so I was able to invest in coaching and really step into a position to where, like I said, did my own healing and now I can help others turn their pain into their power, right? Because like I was saying before, we don't realize that a lot of the things that we're doing are still playing out in our lives because we haven't healed the wounds that have happened from childhood or when we were a teenager, 20s, or whenever you know we're going through traumatic experiences, when we don't really have a chance to heal those, they continue to play out and we don't even realize it a lot of the time. So really just helping women step into the life that they truly desire to live without all of the pain holding them back from the past. And that's something you mentioned too, that is really important is to heal yourself first. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, yes, obviously you want to help people and that's really great. But a lot of times deep trauma from our childhood go unaddressed for years. It never goes away. It shows up in your life. And then I just had a pivotal moment actually this week where I was like, okay, I think I'm brave enough to address the 
deep childhood wounds and try to to heal that part of myself so I can keep moving forward. Well, it's kind of scary to think, I don't want to think about my childhood. It was traumatic or I blocked out a lot of it, right? And so we have this block that we think if we go back and try to heal some of the parts of ourselves that we have to relive it. And the truth is we don't have to relive the pain, but we get to intertwined and we get to love those parts of ourselves and start the healing process. We don't have to relive it. And I think that's really important for people to know. That was exactly my mindset. It's like, oh my gosh, it was painful the first time. Why would I want to go through it again? Exactly. What advice do you have for people who are feeling a lot of pain right now and want to move forward, but really don't know how? And like you felt like you were the only one going through it. A lot of people, when they're going through anything traumatic, they feel so isolated. Absolutely. My biggest pivotal moment and something that I love to help women do is forgive themselves because a lot of the times we're just holding on to so much resentment in our body, in our hearts, in our mind, and we continue to beat ourselves up. And when we're doing that, we really can't come into a place of healing. We can't come into a place of acceptance and moving forward. Even if it's just a simple moment where you put your hand over your heart and you just say, I forgive you. And maybe you don't believe it at this moment, but that's going to start to shift the emotions in our body. It's going to start to shift some softness towards ourselves. When we're able to do that, then we can really start to open up to going on the road that we want to, right? Instead of continuing to hold ourselves back and beat ourselves up. That would be my first advice is really just forgiving ourselves for the decisions we've made and for the hurtful things we've probably done to people or the hurtful things we do to ourselves and really start to open up our hearts the next thing would be probably just to be get present in the moment because so often we're living in the past or we're living in the future that we don't really see what's happening in front of us. And when we're not seeing what's happening in front of us, how can we start to heal and start to pull ourselves out of that pain? Mm-hmm. I love that what you mentioned are things that we can do by ourselves especially as a child, you think that other people know better than me and you're waiting for other people to heal you or give you something that will heal you. Right. So I think that it's so valuable to know that we can help ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the first step, right? Because no one can do it for us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we like to think that, oh, if this person says this, or if I get this job, or if I do this thing, or get this car, we're going to find happiness. But it's really just a feeling we're searching for, right? So if we could come to a place where we can give ourselves those emotions, those feelings, then that's where the true happiness starts to come in. Yeah. And from my personal experience too, chasing all of those things never ends. You just, you're always chasing something that doesn't exist. Absolutely. Because those those feelings are fleeting, right? Yeah. You get a new car, you get a new job. Eventually those feelings fade away. I want to dig deeper into the concept of numbing out because as we know, people turn to drugs, alcohol, even social media. That's a big one these days. The mindless scrolling to numb the pain they're feeling. Right. And what we were talking about earlier, it's basically a distraction to not address whatever is going on in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're such in a world right now where it's always go, 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 right? We're like making plans to do this or we're saying yes to things that we don't necessarily want to say yes to, but we don't know how to sit still. We don't know how to be with ourselves when there's something hard going on. Yeah. We're scrolling, we're watching TV, we're sleeping. You know, there's so many things that we numb our emotions with and it feels okay in the moment, but those emotions are still there once we turn off the TV or stop scrolling on social media. And then what happens when we don't heal them is they continue to stay in our body and they continue to come out. And so that can be dangerous, right? You're yelling at the husband or the kids or taking it out on other people around you because you're not actually being okay with dealing with it yourself. And so that could be really detrimental to the life that you want to live. 
Absolutely. Everybody responds to trauma differently, but inevitably it's a ticking time bomb. Absolutely. Those emotions have to go somewhere and it's going to come out and it's not going to be pretty. It's not. I want to talk about the evolution of your relationship with your mom from your teenagers versus now. She was always a good mom and she was trying to do her best. And when you're trying to raise a family and trying to do a career and all this stuff, it becomes overwhelming. And I think a lot of times, or sometimes anyways, parents turn to other things to help them, right? Mm -hmm. And so even though at that time we weren't very close or we were like best friends, but worst enemies. Yeah. She was trying her best, but it was hard for a lot of years because I got sober and she was continuing to be in her addiction. And I was living in Orange County at the time and they were in LA County. And so there was a part of me that still felt like I needed to help my little brother and little sister. You know, they were living with my dad at the time. You know, he was around and he did his best, but he didn't know how to deal with kids and emotions and all this stuff. That just wasn't who he was at the time. And so my mom ended up finally getting sober after she actually got some time in prison. She got caught with somebody that was doing some things. And that was her moment of clarity where she got sober. And ever since then, she's been back to my best friend. She's been living a clean life. She's so happy. And we have able to work through the hurts and the pain and and those emotions of the things that we did to each other and really be able to build a foundation of our relationship again, which I'm so grateful for because she is my best friend today. Can you shed some light on how that healing process happened between the two of you? Because you had your own healing as well, but then you had healing to do with her. So what was that process like? How did you guys get started in all of that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it's been a lot of years since that's all happened. And when she got out of prison, she was she went to a, a rehab facility as well. And so during that time, we were able to do some processing in that community. That was really helpful. But you know what? Honestly, it just took time for me to trust her again and to see that she wasn't going to go back to that lifestyle. It was just being able to talk and realize that I'm in control of my emotions. So regardless of what she does, I'm going to be okay. And it's just having that moment of clarity, I guess you could say of like, no matter what the people outside of us do, we get to choose how we feel. And so it's just taken a lot of time. I had to do a lot of forgiveness for her too, right? Forgiving her for some of the actions she's taken. And again, forgiving myself was another big pivotal thing that's helped me through the healing process with her. I love this concept of forgiving too. These things aren't taught to us. We basically have to experience them and learn ourselves. Mm -hmm. I love that you were able to find that for her and then also for you, because it must have been really tough after you've had your moment of clarity and then you became sober to watch her to continue down that path. Yeah, it was really hard because I was still in 18, 19. I was like, I, I need my mom like to help me and all this stuff. And so it was hard because it was about five years before, you know, she was able to get her life back on track. And so it was really difficult. There was so much uncertainty during those times. Somebody's in their addiction, nothing else matters, you know, and you think you can control them or you can change them or you can help them. But unless they want to get help, there's really nothing that you can do. And I think that's the hardest part about addiction is the fact that nothing else matters being able to really come into a place where she wanted to get her life back on track was huge as well. And I was able to help her and support her in that because a lot of people were pretty upset with her and didn't even want to help her because at some point, you know, you just enough is enough and you don't even want to be around that person anymore. That's so true. You physically get isolated because people that aren't family aren't obligated to quote unquote deal with it. Right. Instead of, hey, how can I help you? 
you can try to be there for them as much as you want, but at some point you have to set those hard boundaries and that's really tough. But unless that person in their addiction hits their rock bottom and they have left with nothing, then chances are they continue to use. It just becomes this big cycle. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I love that forgiveness piece so much that you forgave yourself. Yeah. And the one thing I wanted to say about the forgiveness of forgiving other people, and I think this is a big pivotal thing for a lot of people is like when you're forgiving somebody in your mind, you think that you're making what they did okay or right. And that's not true. It's for ourselves. So it's a little bit of a selfish thing, but not because when we forgive ourselves, that's when we can truly start to set ourselves free. But the other people, you're also setting yourself free. It's like, I forgive that situation, but it doesn't make that person right. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to understand it doesn't make the other people right, but it's setting yourself free. That's such a good point. It's the freeing of yourself. You're expecting the other person to change and they're not thinking about it. You continue to live with that. Right. It's like harboring that resentment. You know, when we hold all these heavy emotions in our body, that's when we get sick. There's diseases and things that come out because we continue to hold on to those emotions in our body. But when we really start to let those emotions come out and really start healing, then that's when our body becomes so much more clear and so much more healthy. And just feel better altogether. Exactly. That's something that I've been really interested in just because of my own trauma and healing from them is how much of the body is involved in it. Like I never used to realize it used to happen to me all the time, but I never realized the correlation of it where it's like, okay, you're under a lot of stress and right. your body is in anxiety mode or fear mode. And you're like, why am I in so much pain? It's because there's some healing that still needs to be done. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any resources, not necessarily specific to drug addictions, but just resources for people to be able to reach out or turn to so that they can get on the path of forgiving themselves and and healing from their pain. Yeah, so that's a good one. I mean, there, there's a ton of great resources out there. First thing, I think it really just starts with a decision of what is it that you want to create in your life? For me, like I think one-on-one -on -one coaching has been the most transformational, pivotal thing I've ever done for myself. I've done a lot of therapy and therapy is great for certain things, but coaching really had changed my life. And I just love changing others' lives through coaching because as a coach, I get to lead you to the person that you want to be. And so I have all my clients write a future letter to them so I know how to lead them. It's great to see. And it's so cool for the client to be able to see that they can create whatever they want in their life. And so I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have a Facebook group right now that I'm building that's called Building Confidence with Self-Care, where I'm giving a lot of free value there, teaching people you know, how to do some of the things that we've talked about and more. And so if they find me on Facebook, I would love to get them into that group and really into that community. Where can people find you online or on social media if they want to learn about what's it like working with a coach? I'm at Desi underscore Barton on Instagram. That's basically the best place to find me and can message me. And I would love to connect with others and help anybody who's feeling this pain, you know, wants to really go further and deeper into the life that they truly want to live. So what is your favorite compliment you've ever received? Ooh, okay. That's a good question. I guess about my laugh, how loud and boisterous my laugh is <laughs> when I'm really happy. What is a compliment you can give yourself right now? It's funny this week, I, I was just doing a meditation before we talked and what came through is just love myself more, you know, just continuing to show up and that I'm just really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of you too, because it's just a lot for a teenager to go through. And then especially, usually 
when we go through something like that, we look for parental units to be like, mm-hmm. hey, can you help us? But then you also had your mom who was going through her thing too. And so you really didn't have someone to help you get out of it. Yeah, I really had to step up. I was like so tenacious when I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, can I have some of that in my 30s, please? You know, it was just like, I'm like <laughs> all the things and I, no one's going to ever hold me back, you know, so. I love that. I want to explore this idea of self-care too, because you were talking about your Facebook group and do you have any kind of self-care routines that you have to do every day or at least weekly to just fuel yourself? Yeah, I mean, definitely journaling and meditating gets me centered every day because when you're in a position like this, you're like giving to others and you're like trying to create for others. But unless my cup is full, then it's really hard for me to give to anybody else. Meditating and really connecting with source and downloading a lot of the messages because the messages don't come from me because I mean, my ego will tell us how to do all the things. But when I really connect with God, angels, universe, that's when the true essence of being able to lead others and really know that I'm I'm leading from a place of love and grace. And so meditation is probably the number one thing for me. That was one of those things I had to learn too later in life. Exactly what you said. If your cup isn't full, how are you going to pour into other people? And that's so important because when we are taking care of ourselves, we do show up more confidently in the world, right? When we're Mm -hmm. reading our books or journaling or working out and eating healthy, we get to show up so much more fulfilled and happy and really lead the people in our lives from that place rather than not feeling good about ourselves. So when we do those things, just a little bit, you know, sometimes we get so busy and taking care of everything else and everybody else, especially as women, when we just take a minute to slow down, get a little bit present and do something for ourselves you will be amazed at the shifts that you feel in your life. Back to that mind-body connection. There's been times in my life where I've been like, go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. And then the universe has a way of slowing me down. Like literally my car won't start. And my car is in the shop for five days. Okay, we're not going to do anything work-related. Or your body is just tired and there's been days where I have this massive to-do list and I'm going to go, go, go. And then your body is like, nope. Yeah, we're not going to do that today. I know that's how I felt yesterday. And I was like, I had all these plans. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to honor myself. And I'm just going to slow down. And I'm just going to veg out on the couch and not feel guilty about it. Because so often we, society tells us we have to be on the go. And that's so not true. Yeah, it leads to frequent burnout. And then you wonder why. Yeah. Or like meltdowns. Exactly. And something you said too, giving you, yourself a lot of grace, that was something I had to learn because I would honor myself. I'm like, I need to honor my body's need to rest. But then the entire day is like, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated. I, I really want to be doing this, but I just don't have the energy. And then I've learned to just quiet those voices because I realize, okay, just surrender to that, get the rest that you need. Mm-hmm. Then you can be super productive the next day or if it takes two days. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not judging ourselves too, or comparing ourselves to others, I think is really important as well. Cause it's so often we want to be the har- our hardest critic and we're judging ourselves or we're comparing to others. And it's like, no, we're on our own journey. Mm-hmm. That virtual summit that we attended, that's how I met you. Mm-hmm. That week was very pivotal because I had a lot of emotional triggers from mm-hmm. last year's traumas. And then I've been doing these podcasts and I'm talking about deep, deep trauma with people. From the recording process, we do a pre-recording and then we do the actual recording and then the editing process. I do all of that myself. So I'm listening to the same conversation mm-hmm. multiple times. Oh, wow. So I was go, 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 November, December, January, February. And then at the end of February, my body was literally like, nope. And it wasn't just like a day or two. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just rest for two days. That's right. fine. And I already build in or 
rest days into my calendar every month. Oh, nice. I've learned to do that for about three years now and you can move them. So like if today was supposed to be a rest day and it ended up being super busy, then I'll make tomorrow a rest day again with the grace. I had already done that. So I was just like, okay, I'll just put in a couple extra rest days. No big deal. It ended up being three weeks. Because what I didn't wow. consider was how heavy these conversations were. And each time I was listening to them just to release the episodes and how they were not being released from my body. Because mm-hmm. I was doing the self-care things. Now I've learned to do more around the recording. Right. So I set myself up before recording. And then after I get off this recording with you, I'm going to go do more self-care things. And I've learned to protect my energy in that way. Absolutely. And I think that's just really important to mention because people don't tell us to rest. It's looked upon as bad. Like, why are you so lazy? And it's not. If anything, you're being more proactive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just learning how to protect our energy. If we're an empath, which most of us are, you know, we take on the emotions of other people and we don't even realize it's like, why am I feeling so funky today? Oh, it's because my husband's in a funky mood. So let me clear my energy. Let me release his energy back to him and take my energy back cleansed and cleared. And that's really helpful as well. Speaking of that, we were talking about self-awareness. Do you have any advice for people who want to be more self-aware? Like, how do you build that in yourself? For people that have zero awareness. What do you mean exactly by awareness of like their actions or like what they're doing? For example, physical manifestations. Mm -hmm. So you're getting stomach pain all the Mm -hmm. time. You're getting migraines or Mm -hmm. you're getting seemingly random pain where you haven't broken anything. Right. Usually that's a manifestation of something. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is really being able to get present with yourself and getting into the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So like I was saying earlier, we're always thinking about other things other than where we're at right now. So I would suggest to just like closing your eyes and just saying, I am here, I am now. And I do that a lot for myself because I find that when I'm in the middle of something, I'm thinking about the next thing, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, how am I really giving to the thing that's in front of me if I'm thinking about 10 minutes from now? And so when we get really present, that's when we can start to listen to our body. And it's like, why do I have a headache? Oh, you know what? I haven't drank any water today or I haven't eaten today. Right. And then we realize we're really not even taking care of ourselves. And so I think that's really important too, is just to be able to get present with where we're at in the moment, even though sometimes that can be a little bit scary, right? Because we don't want to look inward. And so it's just being like, you know what? I'm going to be brave today and I'm going to do the things that might feel a little bit hard or scary. Even looking to our five senses, right? So like, what can you see in front of you? What can you hear? What can you smell? You know, what can you touch? and everything. And then really just being in that moment and then asking yourself, what is it that I need right now? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. That is something that I've started to do within the last year and a half or so. What do I need right now? I do that multiple times during the day. So it's like, oh, I need to drink more water. Oh, I need a nap. I need to slow down and just shut everything off and read a book. Right. Because what happens is, oh, I don't have time for that. So it's up to you to make the time for that. Well, and then we're like, oh yeah, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this. And we have no boundaries. And then we wonder why we're freaking can't even get anything done during the day because we keep giving to everything else and we don't know how to say no. And so that's another thing I work a lot with my clients is like, it's okay to say no. Yeah. You're worthy of it. And I've found too, people respect you more for it. Absolutely. Thanking them for thinking of you, but being able to just be like, that's not in alignment. And I've said that to people. I'm just like, thank you for thinking about me, but that's just not the path I'm on right now. That's amazing. And most people cannot do that. They feel so bad and so guilty about it, which really it gives the other permission to be able to set their own boundaries too. Mm -hmm. No one really knows how to do it. Like we were never taught how to deal with pain and anger and frustration and sadness and all those emotions that happen. And so when we learn how to do that, then that's where the true magic comes in. I agree. 
I totally get in my head all the time with doing a recording. So my idea for this podcast was both of us are in my living room. Mm -hmm. We're having a conversation and people are listening in. Right. That's the vibe I want. But I was putting all this pressure on myself. Got it. I was judging myself during the recording so I wasn't present. Oh, no. Uh And then I go back and listen to it. And I'm like, there was nothing wrong with it. It was so good. It's always how it is. Like the first take is always the best. The first picture is always the best. Like it's way better than we think it is. And you're just like, dang, that was really good. Why was I stressing? Oh my gosh. Talking about pictures, I take a million pictures of my (laughs) dogs and I'll take like 50 pictures. That's so funny. And the first one is the one I end up picking. It's always the best. I know. It's so funny. I was like, why do I keep trying? Like the first one's always the best. Well, thank you again so much for being on my podcast. This was such a wonderful conversation. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so glad I was able to talk with you and talk to your audience, and I'm just very grateful. Thank you for tuning in. I would love to know what your favorite part of this episode was. Tag me at Finding Strength of Heart on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email me at FindingStrengthOfHeart at gmail.com. Until next time, take good care of you, and we'll chat soon.